whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. Pennington here. I'm so excited to be back with you. Those of you who have been seeing me or hearing me have actually been listening to sort of old podcasts or YouTube posts. I had to take, I just felt very led that I needed to take a, a few weeks to really focus in on getting the book out, uh, An Anointed Mess, Discovering the Daily Adventure of Grace, and then also had some time really learning for myself through the Blue Ridge Writers Conference. I learned some really, really great stuff there. Um, I'm still very novice at this whole uh, publishing, getting my name out there, broadcasting sort of thing. So thank you for growing and learning with me. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm learning things about myself. I'm learning things about the grace of God every day, of course. Um, I learned something really cool at the conference. It was not intended. <laughs> of all the things I wrote down and learned and need to do, this one was not intended, but it was so helpful to me. Uh, and it has to do with posture, which really has nothing to do with writing, you would think, or maybe not with God. I guess everything has something to do with God. But So I have a tendency to lean my head forward. It's called forward head posture. And because of that, I have pretty bad, like a goose egg on the back of my neck. There's all kinds of words for it that I can't remember that are technical. But my husband, because he loves me, of course, looked up on YouTube some videos on how to fix it. And uh, there are some very simple exercises I can do every morning. Um, there's like a Y exercise. This is why I'm standing back so you can see me, those of you on YouTube. There's like a Y exercise. You raise your hands up kind of in a Y. Or you can put them out in a T, kind of like, you know, the way that Jesus was on across the T. And, or you can kind of make a W where you bend them a little or you can put them all the way down and make an L and you just do these things and all you really do is you put it up and um, you just you have to pull your arms back a little bit kind of to put your uh, it's you're putting your back your clavicle like bringing your backbone together the two parts of your not your backbone your oh I'm having a hard time talking today your uh, yeah, your clavicle, those, your shoulder bones. You kind of put them together while you make a Y. Well, so I learned this before I went to the conference, and then we had worship every morning at the conference and every evening. And what I realized as I was raising my hands in worship is that all I had to do was pull them back just a little bit, and I could do my exercises. <laughs> I'm not a multitasker. I'm probably the exact opposite of ADHD in that I can never do two things at once. I get, I actually can get very flustered if I'm trying to do one thing and something else kind of pulls in and I can't ignore it. If I can ignore it, that's fine. But So when I found out, here I can be, instead of spending extra time in the room, I can stand and worship and raise my hands like I always do, and all I have to do is pull them slightly back, and voila, I'm helping my back too. I'm doing back exercises. I was so excited <laughs> because you know what? I'll just tell you. If you're walking through the streets and you raise your hands in the air while you're walking, people think you're weird, you get weird looks, 
And if you're me, you can't carry the phone that you were talking on or anything like that. If you put them out to the side, people think there's something wrong with you. There's unfortunately a lot of mental illness in the town I'm living in, and I'm afraid somebody might call somebody and think that there might, you know, there might be a crisis happening. People just don't walk around like that. So I was just so excited that I could do my exercises, really be in a posture where I'm praising the Lord at the same time, and not look strange. So that was my big, one of my big finds. Uh, but seriously, it made me think about the posture we take when we're approaching the Lord. Uh, there are different postures that we take when we're talking about God, talking to God, thinking about our lives. And let's be honest, some of them aren't so very healthy. Uh, immediately my mind went to Luke 10, where it was talking about two different people who took different postures towards God. Uh, let's be honest, if we're looking down at the time, all the time, at ourselves, or at the things we've done wrong, or even at the things we've done right, and that's our focus, that's the wrong posture. And I'm not, at this point, talking about physical posture. I'm not saying that if you bow your head when you pray, there's something wrong with that. Many people do that, um, especially when you're bowing your head in humility. But... In this case, it really doesn't depend on where our eyes are focused. It depends on where our hearts are focused. And I'm thinking of Luke, Luke 10. I'm sorry, Luke 18, beginning with verse 9. It says this, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. There's that forward head part, spiritual forward head posture. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, you know, religious leader, the goody-goodies, and the other, the tax collector, hated, known for cheating, thought to be traitor to the Romans, you know. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like the, this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Can you just imagine what he's saying? His head may be raised, but his heart is looking at himself and looking down at others and looking down Kind of navel-gazing. Look at how great I am. God, thank you for making me so great. He didn't even say, thank you for making me great. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. He didn't even give God credit for the good things that were in him. He just talked about all these things that were himself, like a spiritual navel-gazing. Look at me, look at me. And sometimes we think of looking at ourselves as focus on everything we're doing right. But sometimes looking at ourselves as focusing on everything we're doing wrong. And really, both are wrong. Both involve a lack of humility because it's focusing on us without the Christ in us, you know? But then we have the tax collector. Verse 13. He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Hmm. So the Pharisees head was probably looking up at heaven, but his eyes were focused on himself. The tax collector couldn't even look to heaven, but his heart was geared toward heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He saw, God, when I look to you, I, I know I need you so much. The first Pharisee didn't even mention God. He just said, thank you that I'm great. And the sinner Physically, you would look at him and go, he's not even coming into the temple. But the humility, the idea of 
looking to God and knowing this is who I am without you, God, but you can still have mercy on me. You can still bless me. Now, I imagine his physical posture was probably crunched down, humilified, maybe, I think I just made a word, maybe humiliated even, but his spiritual posture was, God, 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 look at who I am without you. I need you, God. And that was the right posture. And I tell you, this is verse 14, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves, themselves, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we exalt God, when we have that posture, our arms are outstretched, really. We're not even just talking about these this forward. I know, I'll be honest, there's nothing wrong with this. A lot of times when I worship, I push my hands forward. But... I've been grabbing them back, you know, just pulling them back as far as we can. I can. Well, and there's a couple things. First of all, it almost forces your head to look upwards. So you're focusing on God rather than yourself. And um, the other thing is that the further open your arms are, like physically, it's like there's a receive, receiving thing. And it, the, that posture where our arms are wide opened, not to take like, oh, God, I deserve this. I'm great. But to receive this in this point of humility where I can't do this on my own. Well, I, I was reminded of another story as well when we're talking about our posture towards God. The absolutely my favorite battle story in the entire Bible. Excuse me, I'm dropping things. Uh, my favorite battle story in the entire Bible. And that is the story of Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat, um, give you a little bit of history. You know, Israel had a history of messing up, like all of us, but just looked more prominent because... We have a Bible to document it thousands of years later. And um, they had been in slavery in Egypt and then would not immediately take the promised land because they were afraid and because they were disobedient. So they, even when they were delivered from slavery into this great land, it took them 40 years to get there because of their own hardened hearts. And then they had years and years and years of judges that that didn't work either because they just weren't listening to God. But then they blamed God and said, we need a king. And God said, fine, you've rejected me as king. I'll give you a king. <laughs> well, that didn't work too well either because they had a good king, a sort of half good king who messed up at the end. And then we're missing one. Just a couple of okay kings and a lot of bad kings, put it that way. And ultimately by the fourth king, they had split into two kingdoms. Northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, I'm doing this very fast, I'm sorry. Uh, so there's this kingdom of Israel, which is already at this point in this story about ready to fall flat on their faces because not a single king in Israel was one whose heart was turned towards God. Um, they might have asked him for help every once in a while, but really just kept going back to the idolatry and paganism and just running from God the way they had in most of the time of the judges. Um, Southern Kingdom had a couple pretty good ones. Some of them messed up a little. This Kingdom of Judah, this was really the line of David, which was the true line of kings who hadn't broken off. And um, Jehoshaphat was a pretty good one, um, and that was rare, even more rare Jehoshaphat's father was a good king, so you had two actually pretty good kings in a row. And his father Asa, even though he made some mistakes, he ushered in reform. He ushered in a period of reform. And then Jehoshaphat ushered in more reform. He appointed judges. Um, he appointed Levites. Those would be the priests. And in appointing them, he specifically said, listen, 
you're judging from God. You got He really helped try to help focus their hearts on who God was, and he really tried to seek the Lord. He made a couple of mistakes. He um, allied him, allied himself in marriage with pretty much the worst king ever in Israel's history, Ahab. Um, that was a mistake. It led him to the wrong places sometimes. But even with that, he really did seem to have a heart that was inclined towards God. So what did he get for this? Um, after he did all these judges, after he reported these judges and he said, this is Second Chronicles 19, 9, he gave him these orders. You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. You are to warn them not to sin against God. So he's really standing firm for the Lord when everybody else isn't. So what does he get from this? Very next chapter, chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites, I think I said that wrong, Meunites, came to make war under Hosphat. So he is being faithful to the Lord, going out of his way, not just for him to be faithful, but to try to lead the entire nation into faithfulness and repentance. And what does he get out of it? He gets attacked. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like, hey, I'm being, I mean, faithful God. I'm doing something good. Why are you coming after me now? You know? Well, if you haven't felt like that, uh, tell me your secret. Or maybe you're just not aware because, uh, let's be honest. We serve the Lord. We make spiritual moves forward. We bring others to serve the Lord. And Satan counterattacks. Now, we have the ability as Christians to know we are on the winning team, number one. And number two, Romans 8, 28, all, God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So when we have the presence of mind and the faith to know even in this pain, even in this time of trial, God's going to use it for me and God's going to deliver me and it might be hard, but I can grow from it. And we can have great peace even amidst the struggle still pretty hard struggle so we have three different kings coming after him and um it says they're coming against you from edom from the other side of the sea they're already in hazazan tamar or in getty i think i said that right so what is the significance of this they were about i think a 48 mile trip away a really good army in a on a Roman road could go about 25 miles away so without being ready for battle without ever having the thought that somebody this wasn't even really their enemy it was from the other side of the sea they just there was like the sneak attack they were gonna be there within two days as, as little as two days how do you prepare for war against three nations that you didn't even know were coming up against you when your focus was not on military within two days well, I'll tell you how he prepared. He prayed. He did that posture. Now, if he would have prepared by looking at himself, what do we have? What can we do? What are our resources? And that's that's a really good, it seems like a good way of doing it. Uh, but something in Jehoshaphat knew that his this was not a battle that he could win at all, or a battle that he was supposed to even try to win. So he proclaimed fasting people came from all over to Judah. And at this point, he had trained them well enough and had people to come. There was a lot of people in Judah who said, we need to pray. So people came from like every town and stood there and they prayed. And the first thing he did when he prayed, he did a thing called why. <laughs> he lifted his head up, lifted his hands up, proverbially, and said, oh, Lord. This is uh, Second Chronicles 20. 
Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands, and no one can withstand you. He started with a posture of looking upward on who God is and just raising his hand and saying, you're better than this God. You're stronger than this God. And just remembering and he, he just remembered and went through this history of God's victory and God's sovereignty. And then he kind of went his hand, put his hand sideways. And I can't do both because I'm holding the Bible, but almost like in a, you know, the, actually kind of a, I don't know, you know, when you put your hands, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, but now these men, verse 10, here are the men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade. So they turn away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us? They're coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us an inheritance. So he told God, this is what we're going through. God already knew. God knows our heart. God's, it's not like God didn't see it before it happened. But sometimes we need to tell God what's going on in our hearts. And it's not so God will know it. It's for us. We have to rehearse. This is really, and, and we're not sharing really information that God doesn't know. We're sharing our hearts. And that's a precious gift to God. He wants to know what's on our hearts, even when it seems ugly, even when it seems confused, you know, even when it seems like tattling. There's this thing as tattling with God because God knows everything. You don't always have to tell on someone to someone else. But God, you can always tell because he already knows everything and he can tell you what to do with it. And then here's the greatest thing. Still arms stretched out looking to God. Verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. One of my favorite prayers in scripture. God, this thing is bigger than me. It's greater than me. I couldn't even begin to think of how to imagine to deal with it, and it's come upon me out of nowhere. These guys were supposed to be our friends. We made treaties with them. They're supposed to leave us alone, and now in two days they're going to try to destroy us? That's how they thank us for leaving them alive? I'm angry, God. I'm confused, God. I'm helpless, God. We have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. I have no power to face this thing, this cancer that's come against me. I have no power to face this stinking neighbor that's bothering me so much. I don't deserve it. I have no power to deal with this wayward child. No power to get this job. I need a job. I need to pay my bills. God, no power. But our eyes are upon you. Now, this was different than the time of the judges. In the time of the judges, they weren't even trying to seek God. They would do whatever they wanted. Ever they wanted, like a child who just does whatever they want. And then when they got in trouble, they go, God help us, God help us, God help us. No, this was not, this was not the posture of just, this was not a, a posture of desperation from a child who's done whatever they wanted and is expecting someone to clean up their mess. This is a posture of faith of someone who has been trying to seek the Lord, making mistakes, yes, but trying to seek the Lord and encouraging others to do the same. And someone who said, I've done what I can, it's not enough. And looking at God and saying, it's got to be you, God. It's got to be you, because I can't. I can't. You must. So here's what happened. 
Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, and this is what he said. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, verse 15. And all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Skip forward to verse 22. So they walk into this battle doing the only thing that they can do. They prayed and they praised the Lord. We're talking about people that didn't have enough manpower, woman power, whatever you want to call it, would have been manpower back then, did not have the knowledge, did not have the alliances, did not have the equipment. And they just kept singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures and forever. In verse 20, 22, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab in Mount Seir, who were invading Judah and were defeated. How did they have ambushes? The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men of Mount Seir and destroyed and annihilated them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So who ambushed them? They did. They ambushed each other. There was a confusion as the clarity from the from the people of Judah came about who God was, there was a confusion that set in upon the other armies where they destroyed themselves. So they march up with their only real sword being the sword of truth, the sword of prayer, the sword of rehearsing who God is. And when they got there, verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooked the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only bodies lying on the ground and no one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to, correct, to collect it. And that valley where they won, by the time they got there, is called the Valley, valley of Barakah, which means praise because their only weapon was praise. I mean, can you imagine it? Facing a completely undefeatable enemy and being completely unprepared and the only thing you have left to do is to look to God and praise to God and then the battle being won without you ever having to lift a finger. Is there a battle that you're trying to fight in your own life right now? Is, are you tired? Are you exhausted? happens to all of us, I think. Tired of trying to fight in your own might? I've been trying to be faithful and it just feels like this is what I get, God. My friends turn against me. Surprise attack from the people that were supposed to be for me. I suggest check your posture. Be clenched up. Looking at yourself, what you can and can't do. Pointing the finger at others, pointing the finger at God. Your arms open. This is a vulnerable position. It's a healing position. It is a vulnerable position. There is a reason why I don't walk around town like this. First of all, I will look like I have got some other issues. And I'll and there's a little bit to that where we don't want to look crazy on purpose to everyone else. But secondly, there's an openness. You don't walk across the street like this. You can't pay better attention. There's a, there's a thing where you're focusing other places. And 
But with that vulnerability, we open ourselves to receive. That's my challenge to all of us today. Open ourselves to receive what God would give us. And in the battle, praise is our greatest weapon. True praise. I don't mean just placating God. I don't mean just, I've messed all up, and now I'm going to flatter you so you give me whatever. I'm talking about when we've done everything we can, as it says in Ephesians 6, to just stand and to put on that full armor of God, to know the truth. Keep on that breastplate of righteousness. To march into the battle, you can't watch a, walk, march away from the battle with a breastplate. You'll get shot in the back. To have our feet fitted with our witness. To have that firm knowledge in our head of who we are and whose we are through that helmet of salvation. To have that shield of faith. It's really the only armor we can really lift in that sword of the Spirit. That sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. A thousand years before, almost a thousand years, about seven, eight hundred years before Ephesians was written, talking about the sword of the Spirit, Jehoshaphat raised that sword of the Spirit because he spoke the Word of God out loud. There's power in our words. There's power in our faith. There's power in our posture. And when we're weak and vulnerable and honest before God, that's when God's strength shines through us. Let's talk to Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for all the wonderful things that you've put in my life and our lives. Thank you for opportunities. Thank you, God, even for trials. You don't always bring them, God, but you can always use them to make us stronger. God, show us today. Shine your light in our hearts that we may see just a glimpse, Lord, not because you have to, but because you're good. A glimpse of what you're doing in our lives through these hard times, Lord Jesus. Give us a heart to praise you, even in the hardest trials. Give us a heart to just surrender to that place of vulnerability. And know that you can fight our battles for us. Help us to begin fighting our battles by being our knees, Lord. And if there's someone who's listening to this with an earshot of my voice that does not know you, bring them to their knees right now, Lord Jesus. May that surrender, that full and free surrender with their arms open wide, stretch backwards, outwards, looking up to you, may that be the beginning of a life of victory in you, God, Lord Jesus. And for the rest of us, help us to keep raising our hands because we need your victory every day. Sometimes you're all we got, God, and that's when you show us that you're more than enough. In your name, amen. Be blessed. Amen.